Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. The verse that we read earlier, verse 14, says this uh, servant of Abraham looking for a a groom for or looking for a bride for Abraham's son Isaac. And he prays and he says in verse 14, Let the young woman of whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And she will say, Drink, and I will water your camels also. Let her be the one Amen. Do you believe there is the one? He says, let her be the one. And whom you have appointed for Isaac. Does God have, and I heard a pastor say this, a good good pastor. He said, God does not have any one person, but you may choose from a number of prospective husbands or wives that with whom you can be happy. Here, it seems like God has one who is appointed. Now, that's the English Standard Version. It says, show, show me the one that you've appointed for Isaac. The New International Version says, show me the one you have chosen for Isaac. The message, which is more contemporary paraphrase, says, show me the one you have picked out. Has God picked out one? Or did he give you a group and say, you pick out one? The word appoint in Hebrew is an interesting verb. Hardly used anywhere in the Old Testament, but it's it surprised me because it, it's... Uh, it's, it's usually translated to correct, like a father and a mother corrects the child. They, they teach, they train it, uh, they teach it to walk, they teach it to talk, to ride a bicycle, to not put spaghetti on top of their head. It, this is what parents do, they raise it up and train it. Now, I want you to notice here, he says, let her be the one whom you have, God has, trained, corrected, uh, formed for Isaac. See, she's designed for him. This is what the servant of Abraham is saying, God, show me the one you have, like a father and a mother, have fashioned and shaped 
for Isaac. They fit together. So I'm of the opinion that there is a one. That there is that God has someone, if you're unmarried, that he has someone somewhere and he has been forming and fashioning that one for you. Can I get an amen from anybody or is, uh, am I standing up here uh, just struggling on my own? God forms and shapes us before we even meet the person. Now Luke 21:18 says that that God doesn't let a hair of your head perish without his permission, his oversight, not a hair on your head. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or work to gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So, the Bible presents God as one who guards each hair. He feeds each bird. He guides each step. But he's suddenly absent when you're going to make the biggest decision of life? I don't think so. I think that God is intimately and intricately involved in that decision and in the person you will marry. So the question is, how do I find that person? Uh, how do I know the will of God in marriage? Well, that's what chapter 24 is about. Here's the servant of Abraham, an unnamed man, and he goes he looks for a bride from among God's people, primarily God's people. So let me give you how he finds her. Here's number one. Let's read verse uh, chapter 24, verse 1 to 4. Now Abraham was old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in all things. And he said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, said, put your hand under my thigh and, make, and swear by the Lord God of heaven and earth that you will not take a wife from my, for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Here's point number one. How do I find them? Find one who shares your faith in God. Who were the Canaanites? Well, if you want to know an example of a community of the Canaanites, Genesis 10:19 says Sodom and Gomorrah were Canaanites. Have you heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, those were Canaanites. And Abraham says, "Do not take for my son a Canaanite bride." 
Moses also said this in Deuteronomy 7, 3. He said, Do not intermarry with them, for they will turn you away from following me to serve other gods. So here's point number one. If you want to know the will of God, look for someone who shares the fire of faith in God and loves God and wants to go to church and wants to serve Him, find somebody like that who's already doing it before they meet you. Second Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with iniquity? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? Uh, the Again, quoting the message, the paraphrase, 2 Corinthians 6.14, they put it like this. Do not become partners with those who reject God. How can you make partnership between right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. And I'd say amen. You're going to have enough things to fight over. This is one of them you don't want to fight over. Here's one you can take off the table, and that is your salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? How about parents? Y'all parents, help me out here this morning. Help me preach. So number one, find someone who shares your faith. Number two, the second one, earnest prayer. Look at verse 12. And he, that is the servant, said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Grant me success. So he's looking for a bride for Isaac. And he, said, he prays, Lord God, show me success. Here is where success is well defined. You can be successful in a lot of things, but if you fail here, it's a big failure. It's a big F. So he says, grant me success in finding the right one. Paul says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything, Philippians 4, 6. I would even uh, encourage you uh, who are unmarried to keep a kind of journal. Um, what you're praying for. What kind of person do you think you could serve God alongside? What what are their uh, particularities that you would like to avoid? And be praying and, and, and pray for the traits. Say, Lord, I don't know where that person is. I, do you know where they are? Would you uh, please bring me up uh, in their presence? Would you show them to me? And uh, if somebody comes along and woos you and dates you or wants to date you, you go back at your prayer journal and say, uh... He doesn't fit what I've been praying for. So go your way. And here's his prayer. Verse 14. 
Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And she will say, Drink, and I will also water your camels. His prayer is, for one thing, I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to a well. Every little city had a well. And the women would often come there and get water. So he says, Lord, when I come to this well, let the one you've appointed be there. And then I'm going to ask her for a drink of water. And if she's the right one, have her say, I'll give you a drink of water. I'll also water your camels for you. Oh, he's asked for a sign. That's all right. Something to help you along the way. It's like saying, Lord, uh, let this woman, I'll say, would you like to fill my car with gas? Would you pump gas for me? And she says, yes. Can I put air in your tires also? Yes, you may. She's the one. A second mile woman. Um, I just uh, jotted this down. Do you know how many camels he had with him? Up in uh, verse 10, he took 10 camels. Do you know how many gallons of water a camel will hold? 20 gallons. This young lady got 200 gallons of water for those camels and a drink for the servants. Man, that's a, that's a woman who's not afraid of work. That's the kind of woman you want. That's a woman that'll mow your yard and hold the garden wash the clothes take care of the baby you know the thing is about a woman bless their hearts they are workers in order to have a have a happy husband and happy children and have the meals ready and to do all that they do during the day she's got to be a worker <laughs> kind of quiet in here <laughs> And that's not even counting what she does in the church or at the schools. So he's saying, God, show me a worker, someone with a good attitude, someone who's a second mile person. And, uh, but let's not forget that he said, let that woman meet me at the well at the same time I arrive, let her arrive. In other words, circumstances have to bring you together. I went to college in Madisonville, Tennessee, uh, Hiawassee Junior College. That's just a little bit below Harvard. And uh, it was a two-year school. And so when I got to uh, getting ready to go into my third year, I had to find somewhere else to go to complete my degree. So I had heard about Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. 
y'all have y'all heard the revival about in as in Asbury? That was uh, just a few months ago on the news. Well, that's the Asbury, and they had a revival back years ago, and I heard about it, and I said, I'm going to go down there. So I did. I signed up and went, and uh, that's where I met Jan. I was from Marstown, Tennessee. She is from Mount Victory, Ohio. We met together in Wilmore, Kentucky. How is God going to bring us together? But he did. And here's the problem. I was entering my third year, but she was entering her fourth year. She's older than me. And one year, six months. Okay, two or three months. But she was... She was going to be graduating that year, and I, I was just getting started. We hardly had time to know each other. But here's the thing. She had decided, before she ever met me, to take music major and piano. That's a five-year degree. That meant I got an extra year to meet her, get to know her, get to know her parents, to woo her, to date her, and to ask her to marry me and go into the ministry. And you know what she told me? She said, I always felt that I was called to marry a preacher. I said, here I am, baby. (laughs) God brought us together. So that's what he prayed for. God let my path cross hers at the exact moment and let her be courteous and responsive in return. So here's here's a third thing. Second was earnest prayer. And the third thing is, look at verse 16. In verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance. A maiden whom no man had known. She was, she had a sexual and moral ethic. She had boundaries about her. Uh, I read this week that by the time a teenager is 18 years old, two-thirds of them have lost their virginity. But then I read also in that same study, it says the, the one thing that made a difference As church attendance increased, sexual activity decreased. So you know how to help your children sexually to get through those tough years? Bring them to church. Because they will be in fellowship with others. They will have ideals that are taught them. They will feel the Holy Spirit's presence. It will transform them. It will help them bring them to church. They need the inspiration that the world cannot give them. Number four. Look at verse 33. Starting in verse 33. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat till I have said what I have to say. So they said, speak on. 
And he said, I am Abraham's servant, verse 34. The Lord has blessed my master and he's become great. He's given him flocks and herds of silver and gold and servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son even when she was old and to him he's given all that he has. Verse 37, my master made me swear saying, you're not to take a wife of the Canaanites, but go to my father's house, my clan and take a wife there. And I said, perhaps a woman will not follow. Verse 40, but he said to me, the Lord from whom I've walked will send his angel with you and prosper you. And then here's the thing. Down in verse 50. So Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. And what he did, this is in number four, the servant did not ask Rebekah, he asked the family for permission for the marriage. He did not initially approach Rebecca. All he did is ask her for water. But he had his antenna up. Now he says he comes to the family, to the father, to the brothers, and he says, here is what I'm here to do. She, this is why, how she responded. This was the prayer I prayed. And I would like to uh, take her back to our Isaac as a bride. So here is a principle we can draw from that. If you're going to ask a bride to marry you, a prospective bride, first you should go to the parents. You should talk to the father and the mother. You should be prepared to explain where you will live, where you will work, how you will afford housing, what are your plans for family and children, what are your plans for the future. You should be able to go with that narrative in your head. First to the family before you approach the bride. That's what this servant did. Then number five, they said, verse, in verse 55, uh, when they had heard what the servant had said, verse 55, her brother and mother said, let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days, then she may go. But he said, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Verse 57, they said, let's call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said, will you go with this man? So here's number five. The woman herself must voluntarily go. In the Bible, you didn't have woman trading. You didn't have, uh, you have an elevation and a dignifying of women in the Bible. They're not commodities like a lot of times you hear people talk about women in the Bible. But God's people uh, put the decision-making process into the, into the hands and into the mouth of that woman. Will you go 
and she said, yes, I will go. She was not property. So then you have to ask the bride after you've asked the family. And then finally, number six. I find this in uh, starting in verse 62. It says, Isaac had returned from Phileroi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes and she saw Isaac. She dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who's that man walking in the field to meet us? And he said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Here is the first time they see each other. And what is Isaac doing? Verse 63 says he went out to meditate. The first time that Rebecca sees her prospective husband is he is praying. And the word basically means to bow down. Psalm 44, 25 uses this same word and says, Our soul is bowed down, so rise up, O God, and help us. To so The first time she saw him, he was bowed down in the field. He was praying. In other words, he wasn't seeking a wife. He was seeking God. I want to recommend that to you. There are some teenagers and young people, they just seem obsessed with getting married and find, getting a date for the weekend. They're consumed with who are you going out with and who are you going out with. And they spend so much time preparing for that. Prepare to seek the Lord. A wife will show up. Put your priority on a pursuit of the God of heaven. And there's a verse, 1 Corinthians 7, 27, Paul said, Are you bound to a wife? Well, don't seek to be free. And are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Don't chase them. Chase God. And God in His timing and His purposes and His design will bring her in or Him into your life. And then I love that last verse in Genesis 24, verse 67. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother. She had died in the previous chapter. And he married Rebekah, and he loved her. I love that. He married her, and he loved her. Don't get those two turned around. He didn't, love, he didn't fall in love and then marry her. No, this was the will of God, so he married her. You know, there's a, 
uh, an issue that I hear people uh, use against the Bible, uh, and it's this issue of concubines. Uh, all, all the men of the Old Testament had concubines, and many of them did. Concubines. And now Jesus said in Matthew 19, 8, in the beginning it was not so. God made Adam and Eve, not a... He didn't, <coughs> he didn't, <coughs> he didn't give him a harem. But when you read Genesis, Abraham, Isaac's father, had concubines. Isaac's son, Jacob, had concubines. In fact, they produced the 12 tribes of Israel. King David had concubines. And, you know, we know about Solomon. But you know who did not have concubines? Isaac. Because he got the right one, baby. He got the right one. No concubines. And it says he married her and he loved her. You know why I love this story? Because it has such a happy ending. It's just a beautiful conclusion to a harrowing adventure of this servant. It ends with such a happy note. He married her, and he loved her. So I hope that you will take these elements, these six points, and that you will pray to God and he will guide you to the right one. And this last, last one may be the most important. Don't seek a mate. Seek God. Let's pray together. Ushers, if you'll come, and let's receive our offering. Let's worship with our tithes and offerings. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we ask for these precious young people that they would pursue you. And I pray for every single one of them today that you who are now designing and shaping and forming their future mate would in the right moment bring them together for your glory and your honor and the advancement of your kingdom.